0: Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains,
1: we speak. Hello, everybody. I'm J.D. Lopez, the host of Left Hand Right Brain. It's a free-flowing, wide-ranging conversation that I have with artists doing interesting and creative things here in Denver and beyond. We talk about their personal stories, break down their creative process, and what motivates them. Spoiler alert, it's mostly spite. We talk about all these things and more while kicking back cracking wise, and always having a good time. You can find old episodes and everything you need to know at lefthandrightbrainpod.com.
0: Oh, hi, podcast listeners. There's many ways you can listen to the Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes. You can also subscribe on Stitcher Radio. You want to send us a Twitter message? You can do that. It's so easy, at Real Nerds. Like us on Facebook, Real Nerds Podcast. You can visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com. Where there'll be a lot of articles for you to not only read, but to listen to our previous shows. You can also call us, 720 6 Nerds 5. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
2: I'm Andre Gower. And I'm Ryan Lambert. And you're listening to
1: Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2019 and beyond. Uh, I am a host, Zach, and uh, with me as always is... Brad. Yes, that's right. This is another Zach and Brad episode, so...
2: So turn it off right now.
1: Yeah, exactly. Shut it off. Shut it all down. Like it, it, It's like um, it's uh, everything's got to go. Like S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to go away in Captain America Winter Soldier. This episode of Real Nerds Podcast has to go.
2: I mean, there's literally... Hundreds of other better things you'd be doing with your next hour and a half. Exactly, your
1: life. You know, you could be like hanging out with your loved ones. We're recording this on Easter. I mean, you could go like you know hunting for an Easter bunny, or that's that's what you do on Easter, right? You hunt the bunny down.
2: Uh, I think that's the pagan version of Ah, the holiday. Um, Yeah, that's right. But seriously, what is the um, actual story? Like, what does Easter celebrate? Because I don't know.
1: uh, Well, it celebrates the uh, the resurrection of the Jesus.
2: Interesting, duh,
1: Jesus! That
2: kind of figures into the movie we watched this week.
1: Really? Yeah, we we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, every week we go see a new movie and we podcast our experience of the world. This week uh, we found out that dead is better when we saw Pet Cemetery, uh, which is
2: confusing because we told you we were going to watch Missing Link, but
1: but here's the thing: um, Brad and I are lonely fucks and we have no uh, no real obligations to the holidays, but Ryan and James do. Uh, James is with his family Ryan's with his in-laws I think I don't remember the message I don't know they're both
2: with their families yeah
1: both with their families so uh so Brad and I are um devoid of those things so we're just gonna uh kick back relax and uh do this episode for you today um we'll let you know if you should see Pet Cemetery, and then we'll play the trailer and then we'll spoil the shit out of it and it's a book and movie that's been around before so spoilers shouldn't be an issue except for one or two things
2: yeah, they both saw Missing Link, and we figure it'd be better mm-hmm. to save that for when they are actually on the show to review, since they often, especially James, doesn't get to make the movies.
1: Yeah, and, well, and uh, James likes Leica a lot, too. So, yeah. Um, which, I mean, tiny spoiler for Missing Link, I really liked it. Uh, and I've been listening to the Ed Credits' song on uh, YouTube way too much <laughs> throughout the week. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's very catchy, I'm not going to lie. Um, but we don't just talk about the movie Pet Cemetery. Um, we also talk about uh, movies that, been, uh, that are going to be coming out um, on Blu-ray What we've been watching, um, real news And uh, every week we uh, figure out what the fuck Brad does around town Hey film buddies, follow me around Denver
2: Oh boy, it's a good week of the drive-in. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, they're getting Avengers this week. They haven't announced what the other two movies are, but um, they did get us last week, which was um, cool. Yeah, because we kind of called that early yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, it's definitely Avengers is somewhere in the mix. Um,
1: given how long Avengers is supposed to be, how's this going to work out? Like, they gonna stay open till four in the morning?
2: I, I guess so. How um, often?
1: How, what's the latest that you've seen them stay open?
2: I've been there till four in the morning before. Really? Yeah. Wow. So,
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> they may just uh, limit it to two movies. Yeah. You um,
1: Avengers Endgame and Us.
2: <laughs> or I don't see why they don't just play both, like only Avengers twice.
1: Or you could do Captain Marvel and uh, then Avengers Infinity. Or, well, they kicked or out Endgame. Captain
2: Marvel last week, so it's Shazam. Oh,
1: they kicked her out. Yeah, <laughs> that's mean. they booted her but from the But the the, But they did it with Shazam, up. too, right? Hmm? But they did it with Shazam as well, right? They kicked Shazam out as well.
2: No, right? it Shazam isn't a romantic, and uh, Us was oh. the triple feature. Oh,
1: I see. So it's just a Captain Marvel bias. Gotcha.
2: <laughs> and she was the older released of the bunch, so...
1: Oh, now it's an age thing, huh? <sighs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, it's been out for a while, and it's made a billion dollars. Yeah. But, um.
2: But yeah, actually, maybe just doing... Um like back to back runs of avengers might be smart cuz then people who can't make the early show can still see the late one
1: and you kind of get the most out of you get the most out of your money with i don't know how to i guess they also like that.
2: people who already watched the first movie would just leave and so they wouldn't get the same amount of like concession revenue cuz people would just people cool. want to watch it twice so it would be cool if they maybe that's inf- a dumb idea
1: they should show infinity war and that back to back i know they're not going to do that but you start off with Infinity War in the, mor- in the evening like, and get everybody no, settled in. No, that's cool. I might pitch that. And then recap and then end game because you're already going to be up late anyway. I mean, especially like the times that we've been there, I think I've only done... The longest I've lasted, there's two movies when it was Ghostbusters and The Shallows, which was an interesting double feature. But, you know, people were still sticking around for that third one, so...
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting that it doesn't seem like any of the theaters uh, did Infinity War ahead of this because they usually do the... I know some places did the five fifty-five hour marathon, but mm-hmm. that was like I don't think Denver even made the cut. Um, no, we never make the cut. But uh, no one, like not even the Alamo, programmed an Infinity War screening. Maybe it's just too expensive. I
1: don't know. Maybe it's just they want to. I mean, I don't know. I, it it seems interesting. Like I mean, the fact that we're getting as many screenings of it as we are. Like I'm going out at eleven thirty-one, and I haven't been to. A movie close to midnight that wasn't a rescreening in a long ass time, like very, very fucking long. And so, like, I'm curious to see how crowded mine is or that one is, especially, especially. since it's 3D. So, um, but yeah. You know, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna look at that seating arrangement again, are you? <laughs>
2: yeah. I, uh, I, when I was buying the tickets, uh I kept checking back uh, a couple days or you know week after week, seeing yeah. how how fast it was filling up, and it wasn't like, um.
1: It's going to be the lowest attended Avengers game screening of all time.
2: Yeah, they've only got one 3D screening uh, opening day at the Littleton Alamo. Yeah. And...
1: The exciting podcasting is going on. Look at a seating arrangement, Brad.
2: Yeah, it's there's plenty of seats. Like, the first two rows are full, fully open, so... Dang, right on. Um, but it has filled up since I bought our tickets, so...
1: It'll feel like a private screening then, until it won't. <laughs> um,
2: and then Starfest is this weekend at the... Denver Tech Center Marriott. And who's the
1: big old get this year?
2: Well, they've got William Shatner and Nichelle Nichols. William
1: Shatner? Yep. And Nichelle Nichols. Mm-hmm. Cool. I might go there. Um. Well, probably some, not. I need to save money, but...
2: <laughs> some people are excited about Scott Grimes. Um, I'm going to go Friday and Sunday because someone scheduled a party in the middle of Starfest, so...
1: Oh, well, you should go to them and scold them. <laughs> I will. Mm. <laughs> Anyway, um is that all that's going on around town? No news about the Esquire and uh it's uh coming back at all or it's coming back, just no set date yet,
2: so right on. probably over the summer. Okay. That's summer money.
1: Yeah. It'll play endgame. That's the only movie it's allowed to play now is Endgame. The Esquire? Yeah, sure, why not? I doubt they're gonna get this <laughs> endgame.
2: Find whatever big indie flick has, you know, made it out of Sundance with the most hype that'll be there
1: i'm trying to think what's coming out i've heard a couple of, about a couple of things from sundance but not like anything that's going to be coming out anytime soon so oh well we'll see as uh the months roll on um right on well uh why don't we jump into some real news i'm not done oh you're not okay now i'm done okay <laughs> it's real news Uh, well, uh, Ryan's probably jizzing in his pants because he's going to get uh, Spider-Man Far From Home three days early. So, uh, good for him. I mean, this yeah. is only a victory for him, right?
2: No one else? I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know what schedule's like, but that that could definitely throw a, a wrench into things.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering what... Uh, maybe they're confident in it, you know? I mean...
2: It's, no. It's that Independence Day weekend box office, which apparently, like, you'd think they'd have it figured out by now, but... This late in the game, someone said, "Oh, wait! Independence Day falls on this day, so we should definitely open this, you know, three days earlier."
1: What are you gonna do? It's Disney; they make they make the decisions they want, you know. And Sony, and who, and if we argue with them, get, mostly or, Sony. Or, yeah, but mostly Sony. Okay, <laughs> if we argue with any of these studios, guess what? They'll buy us out, and then we'll lose our jobs.
2: But we'll have their money. Yeah, they bought us out that is true so we can take our time if anybody wants to jobs. buy us
1: out please call 720 <laughs> 5
2: i believe the realness podcast is valued at 3 million dollars right now yes 3 so.
1: 3 million dollars but
2: we're open to offers so yeah exactly um yeah you know we can come down a little bit on that i think
1: yeah 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 i'm sure we can you know cut it down to $2.95 million.
2: <laughs> um well right on yeah so that um, you on, have to divide it between 5 people so
1: yeah exactly well who gets the lowest share in that scenario
2: we Equal shares, what's wrong with you?
1: Equal shares, really? Not going to go in order of, uh, like, I mean, the three the three people who founded it probably should get a little bit of a bump.
2: Uh, I, If you're going to go, yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you then.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then, since I kind of came in, like, uh, the first late into the game, I'll get, like, a tiny bit more, and then Henry will, oh, wait, that's no fair, Henry's living alone in New York. Let's give Henry more. <laughs> anyway. Uh, uh. In addition to Spider Man, though, uh, Kevin Feige says Spider Man: Far From Home will end Phase Three of the MCU. Um, uh, which, sure. I mean, I that thought we sense. were
2: on four, but whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, no, this is all Phase Three still. According to this, yeah. So
2: four's been going on as three's been.
1: Uh, no, four's four hasn't been going on yet. Phase four is after Far From Home.
2: Okay. Yeah. I thought Captain Marvel the start of Phase Phase Four. But. No, we're still in Phase Three. I don't even care.
1: Yeah, I, I don't care, Kevin. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. There's a... Oh, yeah, we got a death, um, kind of a weird death, not even t- completely film-related, but uh, Lorraine Warren passed away at the age of 92. Um, she's She and her husband are the inspiration for the Conjuring movies, and they're also one of the lead investigators on the Amityville horror case back in the 70s. So, you know, I mean, there's, you know obviously they, their exploits have inspired some very wonderful horror films um there's also been controversy within their whole career. Some people call them con men and whatnot, and it's like whatever you know people believe in ghosts that's that's their business but ninety two years old um clearly lived a life um if she was hunting down those spirits and demons, so you know props to her you know. I wonder though if she's dead though does that mean she has to keep fighting them now and she doesn't get any respite?
2: I imagine she can help out um her other paranormal investigators from beyond the grave now
1: exactly who are those again <laughs> i don't know who else has died that's a paranormal investigator this is how lame i am at this scenario i know nothing about other ghost hunters other than the warrens right now <laughs>
2: yeah I me mean, neither i'm trying to think I, I, I mean if she wanted to support her cause she would show up as a ghost and let us know
1: <laughs> why are you taunting her <laughs>
2: What's she going to do about it?
1: See, see, she won't come on the show because that's what you'd expect, but she's going to come haunt my ass later on when I'm trying to fall asleep. Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, if I don't come to the live show on May 6th at the Bug Theater, you'll know why. <laughs> I was killed by Lorraine Warren's ghost. <laughs> um, right on. Um, uh, in uh, old people news, uh, noted old fucker Clint Eastwood won't stop making movies. Uh, In fact, he's probably going to go over to Disney Fox for a movie um, called The Ballad of Richard Jewell, which is a project about a man who was falsely accused of the terrorist attack um, bombings uh, at the Atlanta Olympics in the 90s. Um, uh, Depending on what he does with the material, I'm very interested. Um,
2: Maybe he'll get the real people involved to act again. Oh,
1: God, no. (laughs) First of all, I think they'd be too old. But second of all, no. Don't do
2: that. You're going to tell Clint Eastwood you're too old to do something?
1: You know, after watching all 60 of his movies and writing about them diligently, yeah, I'm going to tell him. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah. And then he'll- He'll make his day. And then he'll blow my head off. But, you know, (laughs) at least I'll have died for something? (laughs) No, not at all.
2: Zach, live for nothing died for nothing
1: you know what I'll, you know what in the tradition of Clint Eastwood doing whatever the fuck he wants if it's a Disney Fox film and it just ends up on the Disney banner I want him to sing the when you wish upon a star theme as the Disney cap- castle opens. so it'll just be like the grizzliest voice you've ever heard singing that Jiminy Cricket ballad <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah uh Clint's on keeping on trucking so when it comes out if it does I will write a follow up how about that people um you you guys talked about uh, Rise of Skywalker um for a bit, right? Or did you just kind of mention it and move on? Did you not
2: listen to the episode yet?
1: I did, but like I don't remember how long you talked about it. But so, I think we covered everything. Yeah. Well, the internet got all angry again and what? I'm not I'm not going to go into everything because all this always upsets me and makes me want to punch a wall. Who thought the internet would care about this? Uh you, you know, it's interesting like a lot of people who like Star Wars really like computers and they really like message boards and Facebook and social media. And they really like making comments that have no bearing on the actual world until they kick other people off of social media for their nasty comments. It's a fun world we live in. But anyway, um, one of the interesting things I, um, found was that, uh, I guess George Lucas did consult on the rise of Skywalker according to JJ Abrams, um, which only surprises me because it seems like he was done helping people. (laughs) Like I thought, it was. That's the joke that I make to James about like watching movies in his basement is because he literally just kind of stopped giving two fucks. So, um, like anything, everything he's done has been anything but Star Wars essentially, except for like visiting the set as a goodwill token or whatever. So I don't know. Um, it. Um, I guess it. I guess it has to do something with Palpatine, like into in terms of how he's influencing it, but. Or maybe it's just for the fact that it's going to end. So, um, in either case, uh, good old Mr. Lucas is uh, back on the case again, I guess. Um, and, yeah, it seems like that's news. Unless I'm missing something, I don't know. It seems like a kind of dead week in news, so.
2: Yeah, I didn't read much. Yeah.
1: Um, apparently a Stalin mo- reference was taken out of the Hellboy movie. But, I don't know, I didn't see the Hellboy movie, so I don't know what the context would have been. I had World War Two in it, so okay. Well, well there okay. you go. Right on. So they did redo his origin story. Then great. Yeah. All right. Wonderful. Um. Again, I I listened to your episode, but I didn't like remember it verbatim. But anyway, that's news. Hey, do you like Blu-rays, 4K discs, sure. Do. Physical media, things that you don't have to wait to fucking buffer. Well, here's what's coming out on Blu-ray and 4K. DVD releases and Blu-rays. Uh, it's nothing like new release, really. It's like all things finally coming to 4K. Um, you can finally get Alien in 4K. Uh, there's a Steelbook version, which looks really nifty or basic. I don't know. I think it looks nifty, but somebody else might say it's basic. Um, I think the bigger one, though, in the lead up to, uh, Endgame is Captain America Winter Soldier and Captain America Civil War are getting 4Ks, and those Steelbooks look pretty cool. Yeah. Um, one of them looks like the one you already got though, because there was a steelbook of the Blu-ray when it first came out that you got at second spin during the closeout.
2: Mine has him jumping out the back of the um, the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is literally the poster with uh, Black Widow's weird pose on it. Okay, but oh yeah, where she's going like. Eh. Yeah, and then the <laughs> Civil War one. Uh, Mine is the. Like the two steel masks, or the the shield and the Iron Man mask, mesh together. Yeah. And again, this is like just a a poster variant, and they've they've all got the, like the weathered border around it. So. Yeah, exactly. Because like Captain America's old, get it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Age is funny.
2: And they um, are um they're doing Iron Man later this summer, 4Ks. So.
1: Do you think it's probably to tie in with the release of Endgame then? Because they're probably going to put out Endgame no, 4K just, pretty quick. Disney's just trying to get all their
2: Marvel stuff on 4K.
1: So. Wonder why they're wonder why they're paying so much attention to Cap then? But wouldn't you want to start with Iron Man?
2: I don't know. Uh, because they probably have some uh, rights tied up with Paramount when they release that. So
1: that's true. Right on. Cool. Uh, also, the Vivich, or the Witch is getting a 4K release, which I'm excited for because I'd like to see that in a 4K format. Um, the actually I haven't seen it since the theater. Yeah, me um, either. It's a, I, I' remember liking it. Um, Criterion Collection is putting out A Face in the Crowd, which is an Ilya Kazan film from 1957. Uh, it's Andy Griffith's, like, one of his big breaks. Um, or, like, one of his, like, big movie roles. Sorry. It's not his big break. It's, it's, like, his move, big movie role. Um, and, uh, it's a good movie. I'd check it out. Um, his, uh, big break, I think, was No Time for Sergeants, which I have a DVD copy of somewhere. Uh, there is a new release, actually. I'm sorry. Nicole Kidman's, uh, Destroyer. Uh, The Karen Kusama film is coming to Blu-ray. No 4K as far as I can see. Um, And then uh, we've got Kino Lobor coming out with stuff. uh, The Land Unknown. uh, The House of the Seven Gables. um, And Scream and Scream Again, uh, which uh, I have heard of but never seen. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. One more new release, Escape Room from 2019. If anybody saw that, let me know how it is. I am interested in it, believe it or not. Um, and then Sony's putting out Ace Ventura Pet Detective and Ace Ventura When Nature Calls, which I thought Warner's owned those. I guess they don't. I guess that's just, um, Morgan Creek. And Morgan Creek, I think, is now with Sony anyway. So, but.
2: Yeah, sometimes distribution's different. No, yeah, it changes. On home video.
1: I just, I've always remembered the Warner Brothers logo with Ace yeah. Ventura. So, that, that's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, or at least for me. Uh, And then uh, Scared Stiff is coming from Arrow Video. Um, You can check that out. Um, And that seems to be about it. Um, They're reissuing Big Fat Liar. You want to see Paul Giamatti turn blue? But come on, Paul Giamatti, but he's blue. I'm good. You're good? Okay, good. We're fine. We don't need to discuss it ever again. Uh, Anyway, that's Blu-rays. Hey, did you know Corinne called in this week? I didn't. Or I should have, though, because she's been doing this segment called Catching the Classics with Corinne.
3: Hey, nerds. Corinne here for part 20 of Catching the Classics, where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. And because it's part 20 this week, I'm going to be recapping the last nine parts, so from part 11 to now. If you want a recap of parts 1 through 10, you can listen to episode 378, Waterboard, and you'll get that recap there. So, but for this week I'm going to be tackling Night of the Living Dead. I know a lot of you guys like this movie, but um I had a lot of problems with it. It was I mean, it wasn't long, I'll give it that. Um I, I described this to a friend as a cross between The Twilight Zone and Birdemic. It's 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 got the, the kind of like philosophy and kind of like um mental ambition of a Twilight Zone episode where it's like it it wants you to think and it wants to hold like a mirror up to reality and kind of capitalize on paranoia and mob mentality and things like that that are so typical of a lot of the Twilight Zone episodes, but at the same time it has the production value which um. I, obviously, it's not as bad as Birdemic, but um, it, it's really bad. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. I know it's in the, it was made in the '60s, but I watch movies that were made in the '60s a lot, and this production value is like yikes. So I don't know if it was like independently funded film or something, but and even like the acting is a little bit wooden sometimes, like spoilers the guy and his wife who blow up um some of their scenes together were really awkward and I don't know sometimes the way it was filmed I felt like I was watching like a awkward like student film project um, but all that being said I'll move on to the parks that I did like obviously because it's kind of in the same vein as the Twilight Zone where it's looking at kind of the psych, psychosis or psychology of people when they're in crises like this um you know i I really enjoyed that part of it. I enjoyed the second act when um the guys come up from the cellar and they're having the conversation with um the main character whose name I don't even remember um but uh, you know I like that the whole kind of conversation like. You know, like, what are we going to do? And who's in charge? And I don't have to listen to you. No, I'm going to go in the cellar and I'm going to do my own thing. And I don't have to listen to you. And the discussion that they had. Um, I like the first sequence when Barbara and her brother Johnny go to the cemetery. Um, It did a really good job of, like, building up the atmosphere. Um, And then the scene where the first zombie attacks her brother and she runs away And I was really annoyed with the fact that she did such a good job of, like, actually having a brain and, like, you know, the car doesn't work. Okay, she runs out of the car. Her shoe, like, fell off. Okay, she, like, runs barefoot. She hides out in the house. And it's like she was so smart. And then, like, she just loses her mind. I know she's going through trauma and, like, a lot of crazy stuff is happening. And obviously that can happen to people in trauma where they just go into this mental state and they just shut down and they're not even, you know, they're hysterical. And, but it's, it was just frustrating to see her go from, you know, someone who was making intelligent decisions to essentially an idiot in the course of like three seconds. So, I mean, it was a good thing that um, Dwayne's character came along to help her because Um, otherwise she would have been toast, I guess. Well, they all ended up being toast. Anyway, spoilers. Spoilers for a hella old movie. Um, what else can I say? Yeah, I mean, I think this movie had a lot of really good ideas, but the wooden acting, occasional wooden acting, and the low production value really held it back for me. And took me out of a lot of the scenes. Because that first sequence where Barbara is running away from the zombie. Like, I was getting really, like, tensed up. Like, I don't like watching horror movies because of this kind of stuff. Where it's, like, it's this very tense situation. And I was like, oh my gosh. But then for some reason, like, by the third act, it all felt so cartoonish to me. And I'm like, whatever. Like, I ain't even... Who cares? They're all gonna die anyway. And then they did, so yeah I don't know. I guess I was just detached from it at that point because it just took me out of the movie so mm, yeah, I know, sorry, I know you guys like this movie, but and it does obviously have a lot of cultural significance and value and building a lot of the tropes and I was talking about this with Ryan the whole like boarding up the windows and like going to you know, different floors of the house where the one guy's like, let's hide out in the cellar. I was like, this totally reminds me of signs. And he's like, yeah, that's because Night of the Living Dead builds up a lot of horror tropes. And spoilers, the ending where the main character dies, um, yeah, that felt straight out of The Mist, Um, Stephen King's The Mist, where, you know, it's this sense of dramatic irony. and, And it is very Twilight Zone in that sense also. So, I feel very conflicted about this. So, just so you know that, I feel I feel conflicted. Because I know this is a really culturally relevant movie. Parts of it are really well done. But other parts of it suck. So, three stars? Yeah, I'm just going to land on it. Three stars. No more hemming and hawing for me. All right. So, I'll do the quick rundown. Um... I'll give a quick one sentence review and then I'll give the star rating for it. And I'm not sure if we're doing full point or half, or full star or half star system, so I'll just, if I gave both, I'm just gonna list both. So, Shaun of the Dead, a fun and clever zombie horror comedy, four or four and a half stars. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The few good scenes aren't worth watching this long and meandering film. Two stars. The English Patient. It's long, and the main characters are fairly unlikable, but the film is well-made, and there are some side characters to enjoy. Three or three and a half stars. It's a mad, 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 mad world. The stunt work is great, especially for its era, but the film is an hour too long and doesn't capitalize on its interesting premise. Just go watch The Great Race instead. Two and a half or three stars. 16 Candles. Maybe not the best or the worst rom-com of all time, but it definitely has not aged well. Two or two and a half stars. Pretty in Pink. Enjoyable and fairly mature rom-com. Three and a half or four stars. The Truman Show. Great performances, a perfect mix of drama and comedy, and it has a lot of thematic material to think about. Five stars. Seven. The emotional core doesn't land, and once you know the ending, all the suspense and tension is gone. Three stars. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. The first two thirds are good, but the third one goes on forever. Three and a half, or four stars. So, for next time, I'm not going to be doing a regular Catching the Classic. I'm going to be starting a little kind of spin-off series that I will have to introduce you guys to next time. I'm looking forward to that. Hope you guys are, too. So, thanks for putting up with me and my weirdness, and I will talk to you all soon. Bye!
1: Thanks, Corinne. Um, it's good thing Ryan's not here. Yeah, I know he probably would have like slid his wrists right on our table. Um, uh, you know, actually,
2: it is an independent film, Corinne. It is It is, so an, it is that's an, why the budget's so low. Yeah, <laughs> it,
1: it's a very low budget film, and in fact, it's like the the low budget is part of the reason why they had the issue with the copyright because they couldn't. But the the uh, copyright notice at the bottom of the film got removed, and so. When you watch any re-issued uh, remaster of it, like the one on Criterion, it now has a new tag at the bottom to establish the new copyright from MoMA or um, Image 10, sorry, Image 10, which is the company that um, Romero and his partners were working under. So they basically re- re- reinstated it years later. Um, I, I I love the film pretty unconditionally, like just because of how influential it was to me when I saw it. And the ending, I think, is still one of the most powerful horror endings. However, because it is of its time, and because there are some silly things in it, it's also, in my mind, I can make fun of it without losing respect for it or disrespecting it in that process. Like, the riff tracks on Night of the Living Dead is pretty fucking funny, and I love rewatching it. So, um, but yeah, no, but I mean, I, as for, you know, the the look of it and whatnot. I actually appreciate that because it kind of puts you into that zone with her. And to be honest, if I had been chased around by any guy, um, from a cemetery all the way up to a house, I'd probably be in a little bit of shock. So I will say though, it's a performance choice of the time, but it's also that actor's choice. So who knows what another actor would have done with it? So we'll never know. And nor do we need to, um, But in either case, uh, thank you, Corinne. Uh, I appreciate hearing a take on Night of the Living Dead that isn't just universally positive. It's interesting to hear what people think about that. Um, Brad, anything to add to that, or are you good? I'm good. Okay, cool. (laughs) Um, Brad, we watch movies throughout the week, and all I want to know right now is what you've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching.
2: Uh, This week I went to the Bug Theater to an event called Nerd Night.
1: Oh, yeah, the, it's like their TED Talks, but for nerds.
2: Right. Um, I'm only talking about it to highlight the, the one of them, which was about the sound effects of Star Wars.
1: Oh, nice, like Ben Burtt stuff and whatnot? Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, and I only bring it up because you were talking about J.J. Abrams earlier, and mm-hmm. I forget the guy's name who was doing the presentation, um, but he was talking about how he worked with Ben Burtt uh, doing the sound effects and how Ben Burtt got fired, let go from the new trilogy. Hmm. most recent trilogy Um, and made some comments about how much J.J. Abrams is not a nice guy, which I found uh, like he went out of the way to do. Uh, So that's an interesting wrinkle in.
1: Sure. (laughs) I I don't know how else to He's apparently a
2: guy who has this very specific vision. Mm -hmm. And I guess if you don't deliver on the first try, you're gone, Uh, which I don't know how that works in art. You know, especially when you're kind of figuring these things out.
1: Uh, I don't know.
2: Revising ideas, and, and
1: and we have to keep in mind it's one person telling a story secondhand, even so.
2: True. Um, he may be very, very loyal to Ben Burt, Um Which is but fine. But he was talking about how Ben Burt, like created the sound effects libraries for Star Wars, and then it was just required to hand them over to Disney. Um, when they took over so
1: that would be frustrating yeah. no, i'm not going to lie
2: like those sound effects yeah some of them are some of them are borrowed from other classic movies but a lot of the, the droid stuff is completely that's all, 100% made up from him that's
1: all raw that he created on the spot yeah you
2: know? some of it's actually his d- own distorted voice so yeah. uh that was disconcerting uh, but also i don't i don't see a reason for him to smear jj <laughs> abrams over it um yeah i mean personally I,
1: I mean, I, I love Ben Burt. He's a, he's, he's a fine film historian on top of his sound work. Um, like half the documentaries I'll watch on those Warner Brothers things, he's in there somewhere talking about it. Like, I know he's on the Ben Hur and the Forbidden Planet and, uh, the Jazz Singer one. So it's always fascinating to listen to him speak. Um, as far as the story. I don't know, I wasn't there.
2: Yeah, me either. But I just I just did not expect that. But
1: we could go back in time.
2: <laughs> uh then I also watched uh, Miami Connection at the draft house. With the director. Uh not with the director. YK Kim didn't direct it. He oh, no, starred that, in Oh, that's right. starred in it. Yeah. Um and the movie's still cheesy fun. Mm-hmm. But after the, I didn't uh I wasn't aware of this, but afterwards uh y k cam not only uh was there, and after all these years he still has like really strongly broken english mm-hmm. um but he made some jokes about it and he uh, before the screening and then afterwards he decided to do one of his motivational speaking presentations really uh which there's like a little pamphlet when you go watch the movie and it describes that He, he's done a lot of community work in Orlando and, and won all kinds of awards for that. Oh, that's nice. Um, you know, a lot of speeches about getting off drugs and just, uh, you know, being a better person in life, I guess. And so he did a uh, motivational speech for us uh-huh. in the audience and it took a really weird turn. Um, everyone was super excited about it, uh, until he insisted that this African American woman from, the back row come down uh, to the stage to you know support his little presentation uh-huh. uh he had someone else from the front row do something before where It was just like he put like an award on him um you know like he was a mannequin you know right uh but this woman came down um and i kind of forget what his point was at the time but he was trying to make a point about uh the neg- like which is obvious you don't there, historically there's been hate between races um, so he insisted she say hateful things about a white person in the front row just for fun <laughs> or yeah just for fun um, not his words but like wow. that was the idea just hypothetically so
1: it's like that episode of the office <laughs> yeah it was almost like a Michael Scott presentation yeah
2: um, if Ping was literally doing it um so that was, and the woman, after about a minute or two, she was just like, "I can't do this, like this is inappropriate, and I had to leave uh-huh. and so, and the audience agreed um but he he kept going, other people just up and left uh, and you know, out of perverse curiosity, I stayed for the whole thing Wow, um, but that was <laughs> were you the only one left, and you just alone? I was the only one left, but uh he part of his presentation was uh like the main thing was. There were three classes of people, low class, middle class, and high class. Uh-huh. Um, and his version of class is isn't, you know, monetary. It's your entire way of life and thinking. Oh boy. Um, like <laughs> low class are drug abusers and uh jobless people. Middle class are people who are successful but don't try any harder than that. Okay. And then high class people are, you know, people who wake up early. Um are always motivated to you know they don't leave their job at 5 p.m. and call it a day they keep working um, and uh, yeah so part of that was like if you if you are the high-class people you will stand up and clap for me way like hyper enthusiastically every time I make a big point um, so by the end of the, the screening we'd been trained to do that so yeah. a couple people fell into that trap um, other people just groaned and snuck out, and then yeah. uh, he did offer to sign and take pictures at his booth out in the lobby. But I went out the back way, <laughs> oh. so I was like, I don't need to actually do this. Yeah, this is one of anymore. those. This is
1: one of those meet and greets that doesn't need to happen. Like with Greg Sestero, he doesn't try to give you a lecture on the art of cinema after he's done showing you the room, and I can understand. Although it. that would be amazing,
2: <laughs> and. It, I also understand that he is culturally probably oblivious to that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so while it wasn't a great thing to have happen, I can understand where he was completely unaware of how that might make someone feel. Because he's just struggling to get through saying it in like English.
1: Yeah, there's a benefit of the doubt on, on that, even though it's very hard to push it into your head as like it's just let it go. But yeah. like, yeah, that was. So I'm not here on the. Podcast. I feel bad for that. I feel bad for that woman, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, she
2: immediately left. Yeah, uh, I would too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm also not on here going like, "Hey, everyone, let's gang up on YK Kim and you know tell him he's a piece of shit." No. Uh, you know, I'm also I, I'm just relating the experience. Was like, oh, here's this great fun thing that was because of one, you know,
1: it became extremely awkward
2: because of this awkward point in this presentation, yeah. which, you know, I. You know, I, he's just tr- trying to get his English out because it's, it's still so broken.
1: I kind of regret not going now because I would have loved to have witnessed that firsthand. But at the same time, though, it, I probably would have gotten out and walked right after that. So I wouldn't even be able to see the rest of it. So,
2: yeah, everyone else the theater was in the hallway being like, hey, can you believe that just happened? Um, Which so, I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah you
1: pay 20 bucks to go.
2: Even out in the parking lot, I got out there and there's still people out there talking with uh, you know their friends. Yeah. Yeah. Like,
1: God, that's describing what they just saw. Wonder how that's going to look on. I, I don't think YK Kim's coming back to the Alamo Draft House, Littleton, in, for a while. Or was it Sloan's?
2: Sloan's like, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't think he's coming back to Alamos in Denver for a while. Maybe let alone Alamos for a bit. Because I'm sure that's going to spread up in some form of form of way. You know. Um. Right on. Well, was that the only thing you on, saw? Uh, that I can remember at
2: the moment. Let me double check because I was struggling really hard to remember those events um yeah and then i've been watching uh i'm through nine season nine of 11 seasons of Frasier.
1: oh for god's sakes brad
2: is that your Fraser impression no <laughs>
1: i'm just, just saying the quote
2: it was you're just trying to deflect the fact that you, it didn't sound like oh for god's sakes brad <laughs> grammar at all um and that's fun i yeah i i tried to binge watched the whole thing years ago when Netflix first started streaming but they left out episodes periodically mm-hmm. in the seasons so you'd go like 1 2 5 7 8 9 15
1: I don't remember was frasier like extremely linear like you like you needed to like see each episode or was it fairly isolated
2: uh it's fairly isolated there's one overarching uh plot point which is deaf Daph- or Niles has a thing for for deaf yeah yeah uh, his father's healthcare worker right physical therapist but that's
1: like the series long one of the series long th- yeah thanks so. and
2: I watched it a little bit in the 90s when it aired with my parents and then just dropped off mm-hmm. which I thought was that was later in the um, run but it was actually at this point in the middle because it actually ended around 2004 right um, so I, I actually never found out if they ever got together mm-hmm. um, until season seven yeah, and <laughs> that, you. That I just watched.
1: Yeah, and you still, but you still don't know if if they'll survive throughout the end of the show. So yeah,
2: there's two other seasons, but they just got married. So three, <laughs> you're assuming three times. <laughs> um, so I assume it'll work out. Yeah. Um,
1: I remember liking Frasier though.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of really like when, when you binge watch them so fast, it's hard to hang on to you know what I remembered. But I remember the feeling of there were a couple like really great like wow that's a great twist and a lot of a lot of the episodes are a comedy of errors where, yeah. uh, you know, these three, you know, there's like five main cast members and they each kind of have a thing that all, they always kind of cross paths. And, right. Um, it's, it's also weird cause sometimes I think it's the effect of having different writers in, in the writer's room, mm-hmm. but f- occasionally Frazier will be like Seinfeld level shitty to people. Um, right. and then also redeem himself Uh, but then also make the same mistakes over and over again. And I, there's like, I don't know. I think seasons five and six, it seems like all 21 episodes are him dating a girl (laughs) and it not working out. Yeah. Um, so,
1: um, I'm trying to remember. I think Kevin Smith and Matt, somebody did a a podcast for a bit called toss salad. Was it Matt Mira scrambled eggs? It's yeah. probably
2: not called Toss Salad. Yeah. No, no, no it <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, what was it? It was Toss Something or whatever. It was yeah, like, Toss Salad. It's Toss, just on the theme song, yeah. Yeah, no, not just Toss Salad. Yeah. No, that's something Jay says in Jane's Song about Strike right Back. Um, but no, um, yeah, I, I haven't watched the show in forever. And I don't even remember if I watched the entire thing, but I remember I watched a good chunk of it. Yeah. I like Kelsey Grammer when he's not saying things in the news. So <laughs> um, he's, but uh, he, uh, he, his... His humor reminds me a lot of Jack Benny, which is why I appreciated Fraser as much as I did. So, um, now that it's all on Netflix, I'll have to revisit it. Somebody donated the, almost the, almost the entire series on DVD at work. And I looked at it and it was there for a bit. And I kept kind of like, do I do that? (laughs) Like, or do I just, I don't really like buying TV seasons and whatnot. I kind of just do that with movies, but I was like, hmm, that might be worth owning. And then I just, locked away <laughs> yeah
2: it should be interesting because i don't know what it seems like it's wrapped up so i i'm kind of curious what they could possibly be doing in the f- last two seasons that yeah it seems like everyone's stories are have been come to a close it's about
1: kelsey grammar trying to become the beast for x-men the last stand that's the plot yeah. yeah he's searching for that mutant gene yeah yeah he's just like oh for God's sakes wolverine and then that's the end of the show um but yeah no cool that's awesome makes me want to rewatch watch actually um I also kind of re- want to rewatch Cheers though too. So <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing that that
2: character was on TV for almost twenty two years straight.
1: Yeah, we loved Fraser Crane, man. We we wanted to know what he had to say, and we were happy for it. Well, cool. And, I'm
2: also curious. I, I probably want to do some research because there's so much technical, like psychological um, information
1: in the show. Mm-hmm.
2: If the writers are also certified. Doctors, psychiatrists,
1: or maybe they uh, studied it in school. Um, It's kind of like when I watched Futurama. Like, if you ever listen to a commentary on it, like half the people on the writing staff of Futurama were scientists or mathematicians or theoreticians. Like they they knew they knew the science, and the science that they put in the show wasn't like not real, but it wasn't like solidified super real. It's like they kind of use existing things to create the science of it. There's a whole like. Special feature on one of the movies about the math of Futurama that's astoundingly amazing. Like it's like it's a short little featurette, but it just goes through like not just the math jokes, but like how physics and mathematics like play the important one of the most important parts of that show. Like, and I'm like, I can't, I don't, I don't know any of this. I just know that this is amazing, and I'm stupid. Yeah. So. <laughs> and
2: besides psychiatry, there's also really obscure references to opera and the arts and history that I think that's a matter of like, like these people have a deep well of knowledge for these jokes.
1: It's 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 um high it's 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 high class. Like there's a there's a level of sophistication about Fraser which is why I never I never watched it as a kid cuz I don't think I would have understood a goddamn thing. But now like older I think I'd like tapped into it more. I don't think I'd get everything, but um, but yeah, no, it's always had that kind of sophisticated air, like the Simpsons made fun of it when, uh, um uh, uh, sideshow Mel got on, um, uh, got met sideshow Bob, um, for the episode where the, with the dam. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, cool. Frasier right on. Yep. Sweet. Anything else? Nope. Cool. Um. Well, I've been gone for two weeks, so I am going to go through thirty-six movies, thirty minutes each, in one sitting. So, uh Brad, if you want to leave, now's your chance. Nope, too I'll be late. On my phone. Close the door. <laughs> now I'll go through it quick. Um, I went through the rest of the original crew movies for Star Trek. Uh, so Wrath of Khan down to Undiscovered Country. Um, the the Blu-rays look good for the most part. The theatrical version of Wrath of Khan does not look great at all, but the director's cut looks fine. Um, cause like at some point I gave up on the theatrical version and just restarted the movie on the director's cut because I was like, I, this, the, I don't know what the transfer is about, but the director's cut just looks better. Um, three looked great, like better than I'd ever remembered it being, like visually on, on, on my TV. Uh, four looked pretty good. Five was a little rough, but it looked fine. I thought six looked okay, but it had some issues with the transfer. Um, I heard. Uh,
2: when they filmed it, they were using a new camera system, and that's why they bumped up the DNR on it.
1: Mm-hmm. But I,
2: th- I, th- I think they still could have done without that.
1: Well, I was gonna say, like, so, uh, so. By the way, like, *Rathcon* still a masterpiece. *Search for Spock*. I I actually appreciated it way more this time around than I've ever have. Um, four, still amazing. Um, wonderful comedy. Uh, five, I had fun with it, but I kind of like tuned in and out of it, <laughs> um, like I generally do. But I. I always maintain though, I love, I love the character moments you get out of, uh, McCoy and Spock and Shatner in that film because they're like, they're the tiniest moments in an otherwise iffy kind of plot. But, um, and I actually enjoy the Cyborg character, but I mean, he's not utilized as well as I'd like him to be. Um, and then, uh, but six though, uh, did you did you ever think when, because I've never listened to your thoughts, full thoughts on the f- 2009 film. Do you think that like Abrams took a little inspiration from Undiscovered Country amidst probably also the newer next gen films? Because that film moves at an efficient like like the the camera speed is ridiculous. Like in terms of like the movement, like it's all, it, there's, there's a lot of scenes that are just not on sticks and they're moving around in like steady cam and whatnot and kind of moving around the bridge of the ship or down the halls of the ship at a fast, efficient pace, that if you, like, match it up to the Star Trek from 2009, like, it's not on the same level, but, like, the intent is still there. I think
2: by first contact, uh, the camera work in Star Trek movies had uh, gotten a lot more movement into it. Yeah, had evolved and whatnot. Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's Abrams, but definitely, I'm sure uh, Meyer was more confident by then yeah. like in a second Trek movie.
1: Yeah. Cause that, cause an undiscovered country like is the best looking of the movies in terms of like from a cinematographer standpoint, like it's amazing. Um, I motion picture, I don't think counts because that's a, a whole different beast. Like if we're talking about like star Trek and not 2001 with Shatner and Nimoy. <laughs> um, but, uh, also like I, I kind of forgot that the movie like doesn't have a lot of humor in it, or at least like outright humor. Like, there's not a lot of goofy moments in the film. But there's a consistent tone of dread throughout that entire movie. Whereas with Wrath of Khan, there are fun, light moments. Like Undiscovered Country up until about the, ba- the last five minutes is pretty like harrowing and like dark. Um, I would I wouldn't say like it's not like obviously to the point of like extremes, but like
2: say on Rura Pente, uh, Kirk and McCoy have some jokes back and forth.
1: Yeah, but it's still set uh, like within the within the thematic realm of like we're getting old, and there's a lot of regrets weighing on my mind. So the so the humor almost seems like it's biting to hide a, to mask some pain instead of just light banter. It feels more just like reflective with a st- sarcastic remark. Like I don't know, just like the entire film had that feel to it from from moment one, from the moment that um the uh, the 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 mining uh, the praxis yeah the moon praxis blows up, and then like the scene in the uh, the federation meeting after the meeting's over and everybody leaves and it's just spock and kirk and that conversation is so awkward <laughs> like like intentionally and it's just beautiful like i i love it like i think that i kind of like that movie now more than I like like wrath of to a certain extent yeah um, it's my favorite i know i i know and i and i've rewatched it. Like since you've told me that, like since I've met you, but for some reason watching it now, I was kind of just like, wow, like this is the one I'm the most interested in out of all of them right now. Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of like its own episode, but it does tie into the series as a whole. It has that feeling of regrets and whatnot. I, I just enjoy it. Yeah.
2: It's a, it's also like, it's a good murder mystery and it's also like that backdrop of a reflection of the cold war ending.
1: Right. Which on oddly so there's enough, a lot of layers to it. Yeah, oddly enough, though, like I'm watching it though thematically, that movie's still fucking relevant. Like th- not not the Cold War part, but people how, afraid of the future. Yeah. Afraid of the future, how they're acting, things they're saying, <laughs> like it's it's all very uh, still eternally relevant. So it might honestly be the most relevant Star Trek movie. Does
2: around. this cut have the extra scene where the president is talking about a rescue operation with his staff?
1: No. I think I only have the theatrical version.
2: Okay, yeah, because uh, there's a there's a director's cut of that. Yeah, too. which I've seen before. But uh, I didn't mention this last time I watched it, but so the guy who plays Odo in DS9 plays like one of his staff guys, and he comes out in that presentation with a flip chart, <laughs> which I'm like, it's the 23rd century, and they're still using flip charts, even though we've seen them use like LCD screens. Come on.
1: <laughs> I mean...
2: He has a stick and a flip chart that he points to. Like, this is how we're going to get them off for a day.
1: Paramount didn't have money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they probably cut that scene because they're like, wait a minute. Why would you have a flip chart? Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, but, uh, but also, the scene, uh, the trial with McCoy and um, uh, Chang and Kirk. Uh, Worf's grandfather is their lawyer, right? Um, which is fun. And I like watching Michael Dorn get to do things. Every time, like I want to say 80% of the time that he is in that scene, whenever they have him talking, it's in a wide shot, and if it's not in a wide shot, they cut really quick to a wide shot. Rarely do I see a close-up of Michael Dorn talking, and I know Christopher Plummer's in that scene, and you use him when you've got to, but to quote another podcast justice for warf <laughs> like
2: <laughs> well they're they're trying to mask the fact like it's, it's fun that we have michael Dorn doing this grandfather part but, but we don't want him to think we don't want the audience to think that he is warf
1: yeah and no and, and that's totally fine but like at the same time my head's just kind of like give michael Dorn like some screen time guys <laughs> this is mean <laughs> um to parry into that though i continued watching some next gen stuff uh uh yeah I'm still loving it. Um, Wesley's back for an episode and I like that little clockwork orange gag. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. his little awkward romance with an engineer on the ship. So Is that the video game
2: one. Yeah. The yeah. The, 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 game. Ga- the game. The <laughs> yeah. game.
1: Um, which, uh, given the rate of technology, we're not too far away from that. So who knows? Um, but yeah, no, s- some fun episodes. Um, the, the episode where the kid who gets rescued by data and starts imitating him was like, was, was pretty interesting. Like I, I kind of liked it. Like it's, it's a, it's an interesting data episode. It's not my favorite one, but I kind of liked how they kind of position it where he's, he's trying to, he, he, he can't, he has no really room to understand the situation, but he does evolve a little bit to some degree in his humanity. And like, it's, it's a nice like reverse psychology gag on the kid going like, well, I wish I could be human. (laughs) Like guilt tripping him. Um, and then uh and then yeah, like I mean, I'm gonna continue it. I'm almost done. Like I've only got about a, a season and a half left, so or actually no, six and seven. I've got two two and a half seasons left, so. Um, and then um I saw a bunch of other um horror films. Uh rewatched Hound of the Baskervilles from nineteen thirty nine, still a great Sherlock Holmes movie. Um don't need to elaborate further on that. Rewatched Hellraiser, still a fun, fucked up Clive Barker movie. Um if you haven't seen it, check it out. Rewatched Sleepy Hollow. That's still fun, but Paramount needs to fucking suck it up and put a new transfer out because that transfer is a goddamn nightmare on my TV. I had to, like, like, I sit up pretty close. And I want to say 99.99% of my Blu-rays, when I put them on there, don't look half as bad as how Sleepy Hollow looked at all. DVD would have looked better. This transfer was a fucking nightmare. It was like the digital noise that I saw in that transfer, like it made it look like I downloaded off the internet. That was, that was just a travesty. Um, but that movie's still fun. And I like watching, um, all the different British actors get their heads chopped off. It's kind of hilarious. Um, I watched terrifier, which is a film that you and Ryan had seen. Uh, this was interesting. Uh, I really liked it. Um, I, uh, the scene with the chainsaw is the one moment where I just kind of like I, I I almost considered turning it off, not because it disturbed me, but I was just like I'm not in the mood for this. <laughs> like it's it's a terrifying scene, not to, no pun intended. It's a terrifying moment in the film. Like it's because it's it's edited very tensely. Like it's I don't want it to happen, and I don't want anything that's going on to happen. To be honest, like Art the Clown is a fucking nightmare. <laughs> um, I I. The only thing that really bothered me about the film was the opening of the film with um the gal at the end. Who, the final girl. they show her at the beginning and then she kills a host for making fun of her looks. but then they make the ending feel like it's some kind of revelation. i, I don't know if I needed it to be formatted that way, but like it doesn't bother me. so um yeah, i I, I enjoyed it. It's a fun concept. I Ryan said it kind of needs more money to be a classic, like in terms of the budget. And I don't disagree with that because that morgue scene is very much like it's clearly like some kind of like back room that they found to do that morticians area. But, but I still enjoy that. And I like that independent feel and style of it. The majority of the film looks like solid. Like it doesn't like, it doesn't like falter in the indie department. So, and art, the clowns, like I said, he's a fucking nightmare. Um, there's making a second one. I'm more than happy to go watch it. Um, so good on Dread Central Presents for getting that out to the world. Um, I uh, let's see. Um, I uh, went through a Guillermo del Toro kick, um, so I rewatched Chronos um, in the new Criterion um, scan. Uh, that movie's still fun uh, if you haven't seen it. Uh, it's a uh, grandfather works in an antique shop and hangs out with his granddaughter. Uh, finds a ancient little bug device inside of a statue. It bites him and it turns him into a vampire. Um, and, uh, all the, me- all the meanwhile, uh, Ron Perlman's trying to search for it so he can give it to his uncle so that his uncle can live longer. Um, it's still pretty good. It's a, uh, it's Del Toro's first outing, you know, so it's got some small rough patches, but they're like, Del Toro's roughest patches are still beautiful to watch, so, Um, and Ron Perlman can wear a turtleneck sweater with a suit jacket like no one else. Like seriously, like we all look like slobs compared to him. Um, on that Ron Perlman note, I also rewatched Hellboy one and two. Uh, those films are great and it makes me not want to spend money to watch this new one based off of what I've been hearing. (laughs) Um, which may sound a little bit like protective of me. But I really like those films, and I wish I had gotten a third one.
2: Well, maybe you should have listened to last week's episode.
1: I did listen to last week's episode. I just don't remember every single portion of it. It's been a long week, Brad. Um, but I
2: it's the same seven days it's always been.
1: Uh, I, I, <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> um, I, and Hellboy two though. Um, I uh, I I appreciated the score a lot more than I had had before. Like it's Danny Elfman doing it. Marco Beltrami does the score for the first one and it's got a kind of like a cop on a beat kick to it. And then this one's Danny Elfman. They're playing on the whole golden army, like fantasy creatures element of it. So it's kind of like Danny Elfman took a bit of Tim Burton and a bit of whatever else and kind of mixed it and created a very nice kind of heartwarming score. Um, and like I said, though, it's, it's a fish man and a, and a demon baby singing Mary Manilow in that movie. It's one of the best scenes I've ever seen in a comic book movie. Um, and then I re-watched, or I watched for the first time The Devil's Backbone, which is another Guillermo del Toro film, um, uh, on the Criterion release. Um, have you seen it, Brad? It's a story about a, ki- a kid who gets dropped off at an orphanage during 1939, during the Spanish Civil War. And uh, he has a hard time acclimating into the orphanage and he keeps seeing the ghost of a kid who may or may not have been a resident of that orphanage. Meanwhile, um, other people in the orphanage are trying to figure out how to survive during the final years of the Spanish civil war. And one of them in particular is trying to steal a reserve of gold that has been given to the orphanage for safekeeping. Um, it's a very interesting film where the supernatural element is, very much kind of like a, it's a supporting character, but it's not the main focus. It's very much about the drama of the situation with these kids in this orphanage. It's, it's no different than what he does with Pan's Labyrinth only on a lower, I think it's just devil's backbones on a lower budget, but basically Pan's Labyrinth does similar things and similar themes, but with more money. Um, It's really great. Um, The same actor from Kronos, uh, Federico Lupi, um, plays the head of the orphanage who's like a doctor, and there 's this creepy scene um where the orphan what the, the lead orphans asking about uh if he 's seen ghosts and he goes through the a speech about how superstitions are kind of just nonsense and he says like for instance, one of the things that keeps this orphanage afloat is I have this bottle here with an aborted fetus, and I uh, I preserve it in rum and I pickle the rum. And then I serve that because the locals believe that that rum from that particular circumstance will cure their ailments and even their impotence. And it's like this really interesting tense scene that is not really creepy. It's just like, it's out there and the, the intent of it is to convince the kid that ghosts don't exist, but it's just, it's fascinating the way it's shot. Like it's like, It might honestly be technically one of the more creepier things Guillermo del Toro has done is like he, like, it's not even with the creatures he makes or anything. It's mainly just how he plays on the human, the the aspects of the real world and how they pertain to the supernatural. Um, he's a genius director. Um, and the last thing of, uh, that I saw this week was another del Toro film called Crimson Peak, which I had not seen when it came out. Uh, I want to revise my 2015 top 10 list. Well, we can't. Um, uh, Well, I'm going to. Um, When when it eventually happens. Like, what is it? We have to wait for 2025 before we do this again? (laughs) Like, (laughs) because we're doing 99 again this year.
2: Yeah, but only really because you and Henry haven't done it yet.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, and I did write a article for the series, and it was mentioned on the 2015. Anyway, though, Crimson Peak might be my favorite film now released in the year 2015 that I've seen ever
2: that film is more than Fury Road or Force Awakens?
1: Well, those were down at like five and four anyway. Uh I'm gonna say more than Hateful Eight, which was my number one. Uh Crimson Peak's pretty awesome. Uh I got a really cool Rebecca Meets uh haunted house vibe off of like 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 super like like fucked up haunted house vibe. Also kind of like it, it's a gothic romance. So it plays on a lot of different, like, themes. Like, the film, the, the film it reminds me of is the adaptation of Weathering Heights. Um, which is, it's not so much about the, like, the ghosts are very ancillary. It's very much about the tension of this situation, which, have you seen the film? It's, uh, a gal, um, marries a Clay Baronet, uh, as he's called, um, who lives with his sister in a big mansion, um, in London that, uh, and basically she's slowly realizing that the house and everything is not, is not, nothing's what it seems. She thinks that something's very wrong. She keeps seeing ghosts. It's not really a spoiler, but the ghosts aren't there to harm her. And what happens as the movie goes on kind of like, it's one of the most complex del Toro films I've seen, I guess from an English language standpoint, like it's trying to do a lot. And I think it succeeds at a lot of it. And what's interesting is Phantom Thread comes out two years later and it basically tries to do the same thing, but from a more art house perspective, I think Crimson Peak's better than Phantom Thread if we're talking about the way they approach the gothic romance element of stuff. Or at least if we're going to homage Rebecca and stuff like that, Crimson Peak does it way better. Um, uh, Both are great movies, though. Um, But yeah, Mia Wasikowski's great in it. Tom... uh, Tom Hiddleston is wonderful in the movie. He is, this is the best performance I've seen out of him. That doesn't have to do with him hanging around with Chris Hemsworth. Um, and Jessica Chastain plays his sister and she's fucking nuts in this movie. And I love it. Like she's one of the, she's one of the craziest villains I've ever seen in a horror movie. Like she is God damn delightful to watch. Um, and, uh, Charlie Hunnam from Pacific rims in it. And he basically plays like a damsel in distress in the movie. So it's kind of adorable. um, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's a wonderful film, *Crimson Peak*. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I feel bad that I and the rest of America decided to ignore that film in the theater. We don't deserve Guillermo del Toro. We just don't fucking deserve him. That's all I watched this week.
2: Well, we rewarded him, so he's fine.
1: Did we though? Did we? oh, that's right, we did. We gave him that Oscar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he got his.
1: Um, well, anyway, this week on Real Nerds Podcast, we saw *Pet Cemetery 2019*. Brad. Should people see Pet Cemetery Twenty Nineteen?
2: I don't know. I guess if you never saw the '89 one or have read the book, it might be pretty interesting. Um, I have not read the book. I did see the '89 one. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely is tense and scary in parts, uh, which I don't get a lot from remakes these Mm -hmm. days—horror remakes. So, but also, it didn't really—I didn't feel like a lot of the changes added much to it. Uh, and then the ending, it, I, I forget how I felt cause I kind of, you know, in one ear, not the other for the original. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one, it just kind of felt like the ending It like, it didn't really go anywhere. Like it just kind of wrapped up and the, the most interesting idea is just the premise. Mm-hmm. So the conclusion is unsatisfying. Right. Um, so yeah, it's kind of middle of the road for me.
1: Okay. Um, Oh, I thought that was me. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm gonna go with yes, go see it. Um, I was very enthusiastic when I came out of it because I saw this two weeks ago. Um, and I remember a big chunk of it. Um, <laughs> I was watching it going like this seems like something Zack's going like. <laughs> no, I did love it. Um, so my thing is, is that so the original film, like I have it at like three, three and a half stars on Letterboxd. This one I have it about four, four and a half maybe. I can't remember the exact. Um, it's, I think it's better than the original film in the sense that it it understands how to handle that thematic situation better. Um I will say though there are things that I think the original does better that this version does not, but then that's also reversed like more often than not. Uh I think the two directors who did it, they did Starry Eyes and I think they did a great job um Bringing this story to a new audience. Um, I really like the casting a lot. I think Jason Clark, um, was great in the film. Um, I think Lithgow is interesting in the film. Uh, and it's certainly not Fred Gwynn, but it doesn't need to be. Um, and I can't remember her name, but she plays the mom and I think she's wonderful in the film. Uh, and the gal who plays Ellie is terrific. Um, I think the biggest issue that I have with this though is that. Does seem like one of the more dreary Stephen King adaptations I've seen as of late, and sometimes I don't feel that's the best because I Stephen King tends to be fun while being scary, and I think that the the only weakness I see is that this one is a little too dreary. But I don't think that matters because the inherent theme of the film is kind of dark as it stands. So I'd say go see it. Uh, here's the trailer for Pet Cemetery twenty nineteen.
3: In the woods today, LA discovered a charming little landmark:
1: the pet cemetery.
0: Place to bury our pets and remember them. Well, it seems scary, but it's not. Perfectly natural. Just like dying is natural.
3: The whole town's been using this place for generations. Folks make a kind of ritual out of it. not some campfire story.
2: Saw these in the trees up there.
3: They're warnings. The local tribes carved them before they fled. They feared that place. There's something up there. Something that dates way back. Those woods belong to something else. Something that cat was dead
0: he'll bring things back Seriously?
3: I know what you're thinking of doing <laughs> but they don't come back the same
0: daddy who's what's going on
3: never have shown you that place your child is not the only thing that will come back the barrier is broken we have a second chance sometimes dead is better
1: cemetery um y'all should know this fucking plot right now can we just get into the review (laughs) um no uh uh jason clark plays a doctor who uh moves his family up to uh like kind of out of the out of the city town in maine like i always remember it's the fucking maine it's somewhere in maine um i don't remember everything stephen king guys i'm sorry um and uh it's right next to the highway, um, and it's next to a pet cemetery on their uh, on their land. Which, if you go past the pet cemetery, it's actually like a big old uh, living ground for wendigos. Uh, and John Lithgow uh, apparently keeps like t- trying to tempt death <laughs> by bringing people back there to bury their pets. Because which is the main
2: thing that kind of put me off to the movie. Which I, I- I'm just sitting there watching the thing, going like. This guy knows, like his—he brought his dog back and it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that the writers are trying to say, you know, he was so enamored with the daughter that he wanted to make her happy. Which I
1: believed that motivation more this time around than I would have in the original.
2: But I'm just, you know, there's nothing good about this. Like, yeah. why are you even bringing well, it up? Did you I just didn't? I didn't buy it.
1: There's, there's, I can't remember fully if this is in the original, but I know that like dramatically, like. Their justification is that they think, like, this time it'll be different or, like, I thought I, I thought a cat would be less volatile or wouldn't cause as many issues,
2: which... It would make sense if there was some evidence that it did work yeah. just fine sometimes, but there's no evidence for that.
1: Which I've never read the book, so I have no idea if there's, like, any yeah. instance sure the where same. they
2: would... I think it's the same in the book, because I was reading an article about the similarities and differences, Yeah, and the same thing happened, so my critique would go all the way back to the book of, like... How did you convince anyone to buy like buy into this? There was plan?
1: A, there was another podcast that said uh, the, if you were to describe the movie without giving away the plot of the dead kid, what would you say? And they said it's about a neighbor who can't keep his goddamn mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the uh, I, I mean I feel like the the like I said the biggest hindrance on this film is that like I think the original Pet Cemetery is a classic mainly because it's a bit campy <laughs> and a little bit cheesy. Uh, this one is a definitely a bit more of a straight shot s- horror, terrify, like freak you out. And so, in the in a sense, I think it loses the fun factor. Like this is a Stephen King adaptation where I walked out of it going like, that was good, but I don't want to watch it again right now for a while. Like it's pretty bleak. Yeah, it's yeah. very bleak. Like,
2: and I don't remember from the uh, previous version. Uh, I feel like this one dives more into the wife's fears about her sister.
1: They they delve into her f- into the fear of Zelda in the original film. Uh, I think it's well one it's a little different in the original but also I think this one uh, I think that it I wonder if it was even even completely necessary to do the Zelda thing this time around but I appreciate that they did it because it does round out the wife character better. Yeah, it also um, it
2: almost gives the only kind of like cerebral conclusion to the movie where it's like she, you find out that she wanted her sister to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, which is the
1: same in the um in the original with Denise Crosby. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I know. Um, um, f- and
2: they also make the the child like because she's older, she's able to be more menacing, whereas whereas in the, in the previous one, the little kid is he can you can spout out one liners basically and
1: yeah, it's Miko Hughes running around stabbing people and looking adorable. Yeah, in this one actually some of the creepiest moments of the film are when Ellie comes back, which spoilers, uh, we're already in this section. Ellie, instead of, um, the younger son is Gage. the one who uh, gauge gauge. Uh, Gage Creed doesn't die in this one. It's Ellie Creed who dies. Um, which I honestly think is better. I honestly think that's the one, like one of the best choices they could have made for this remake. It's not because I don't want faithfulness to the book. I get it. You, you, everybody wants everything to be exactly the way they remember it with this one. It's especially re- uh exemplified in the scene when he's giving her a bath after she's come back to life. And there's inter- the the interaction is tense. He's pulling on her hair and it's coming out and it's like creepy. And then the scene in the bed is terrifying. Like just like, not like, not like I'm not going to sleep tonight, but just like, it's tense, you know, like, she, because she can um uh sp- speak clear dialogue and not be bound by being three years old, you get a better dramatic sense of what's going on here and why this is all incredibly wrong,
2: yeah, and that reminds me um so the father digs up Ellie's body right mm-hmm. um and f- it, it, for all the trouble that these filmmakers go through to make it you know realistic mm-hmm. people can get buried like as a as the corpse that they you know died as they get their organs removed and their blood re- like siphoned out and they become pretty much like little husks. Oh. But he opens the coffin and she's her normal dead lifeless, you know, unoperated on body.
1: Well, Brad, I mean, if we were if we wanted that film, you should have asked Guillermo del Toro to make pet cemetery for you. Maybe he would have done it. I don't know Um, because there's a whole mortuary scene in Kronos that's very similar to that. But I I don't think it matters, like, obviously. Stuff like that, if I thought about those things in a horror movie, then I would toss all my (laughs) horror movies out the window, (laughs) you know, which I'm not going to do because I love them.
2: It made her easier to carry to the Pet cemetery. which also I want (laughs) to know the the rules of the cemetery because how far does the poison soil go? Um, is it just I think that they mountaintop, the, or
1: I think they explained the geology, but I don't. But like,
2: if you the, bury anyone, maybe just down, <laughs> down the stairs a little bit, and off to the right, like, does it still work? Or? What if,
1: what if you buried it in one half, and then the other half, it's regular land, does it become half fucked up? <laughs> yeah, uh, where's where is the Wendigo property line? <laughs> because the property it, he owns the Wendigo territory, along with the pet cemetery, along with the the house. But we don't know where the Wendigo land begins and where it ends. Like it's supposed to be the big dam area, like the big pile of the the, the beaver dam. But like they they have to go pretty fucking far to bury it. So that's
2: yeah, a huge, expensive property.
1: I don't know. I think if we write Stephen King five hundred letters, he'll finally answer us. So uh, I'm on letter three twenty-five, I believe. You're on letter four forty-five. So we'll get them finished. You watch. We will get our little. Video game guide map to pet cemetery property lines. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall though, it's a pretty solid horror film. It's not like, it's not, it's nothing new. I think that's, that's another only real issue I have with it. It's nothing really new. It's another adaptation. I I think it, unlike it, I think this film has a hard time, like, standing out from any other, like, remake. Because, like, it has the advantage of being a remake of a TV movie, but also kind of, like, has characters that are a little bit more within a popular realm so that it succeeds beyond everyone's wildest dreams. And I think Pet Cemetery inherently, because it is about child death, it's going to turn a lot of people fucking off. So, like, I walked out of it going, like, fuck, I don't want to watch that again. Like, I'm just thinking about my nephew and hoping he's okay. So, you know, like, but... It's it's still a really solid adaptation, and the guys who directed it did Starry Eyes like they're really solid directors. I want to see them do more. So, Um, but yeah, any final thoughts, Brad, on Pet Cemetery twenty nineteen?
2: Yeah, I thought the the actual truck hitting the kids like because they kind of um like distort your expectations by having a gage also run out in the road right after you're expecting Ellie to get hit right, and then she still does get hit. Um, so that was interesting and uh and then the cat at the end like the whole family is creeping up on Gage in the uh, trapped in the car mm-hmm. and the cat jumps on the windshield which is pretty good like additional menace to the scene I
1: thought it was a really creepy way to end the film I dug it Yeah uh,
2: cuz in the in the original movie um you know you're you're having it as a, a almost an infant child that dies yeah gives you the sympathy towards the kid and that but it makes it campy when he comes back whereas this one because she's almost a teenager um you know her coming back makes her more of a threat as a zombie yeah. than the little kid would be and then therefore at the end this helpless child that has nobody like there's not even a neighbor now that can find him yeah. he's going to die in that car yeah um
1: well it s- sounds like they're going to kill him and then bury him in the pet cemetery and then dig him back up again yeah
2: so um which
1: I mean, one of the things that I thought this I imagine
2: film, his dad locked the car though, but I guess he could find but his no, own But no, but
1: there's a there was a sound of it unlocking. Because mm. um, he said don't open the car for anybody uh unless it's me or something like that. Um but like this film though, like the the original film talks about the whole concept that like um uh Dr. Creed doesn't believe in um like it doesn't have like the really afterlife. like, like an yeah. afterlife God, all that stuff. I think in the f- original film, it's a little hard to take that whole situation seriously when all the things that are happening in it are happening in it. This one, because of the mood, the tone, what they're setting with the cinematography and the acting, I feel like there's a better discussion being had here this time around than in the first one. Um And uh I, the, I think... I'm glad they toned down the character uh from the beginning with the exposed brain that's giving him the warnings about the cemetery because in the original film it becomes kind of a weird joke. But uh but I mean obviously if you're reading the book it probably sounds way more important. But it it just did I don't know if it translates to film as well. Because by the time you would keep having him in this story, things have already gone haywire, so why not just eliminate that and kind of just make them go fully nuts till the bitter end. So that's what I thought one of the things I thought this film did great. So so yeah, Pet Cemetery. Um and I like that cover of the Ramones song. That was very nice. Um I I heard some people bitching about it not being the original song and I'm like, stop it. <laughs> That's yeah. not important. It cost less to do yeah. the way they did. So. And it's not important. Like I like the Carano immigrant song cover in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as well. Like they're both fine versions of that song. Leave it alone. Cool. Well, next week I think we're seeing some kind of stupid indie movie about some big purple guy who, like, snapped his fingers and ended the fucking world. I don't fucking know. Sounds like it's got Peter Dinklage in or something, I guess. I don't know. I'm just kidding. We're seeing Avengers Endgame.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be exciting. We it, might do a bonus episode.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, live from the Alamo, perhaps. Maybe. Remote. Uh, or...
2: Capture the moment of this <laughs> event picture, which we... What, what's funny about that?
1: Yeah, this episode will be sponsored by Kodak, by the way. Capture mo- or save a moment. What is it? Like cherish the moments or whatever the fuck? I don't remember what Kodak's slogan is. Um, but yeah, no. Um, end game, and then the week after is dead. So I think then we'll talk about Missing Link. Yeah. Uh, and then the next week we'll be doing something, but we'll also be doing a live show on May 6th at the Bug Theater at 7 p.m. Tickets are free. Yeah. So come down and see us. Just
2: show up. Walk in and take a seat and enjoy the show
1: take a nap i don't care like we just want to make sure the seats are filled <laughs>
2: grab some concessions definitely yeah you know, exactly will be
1: put in your headphones and watch house of cards for all i care
2: <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll figure out something interesting to do yeah there and then um
1: and then the comic-con not long up? after
2: that we'll have our booth and we'll have our live show one of those three days
1: yep and you'll be also uh, uh, able to get some cool sweet collector's glasses that brad designed uh in honor of Back to the Future Part 2, uh, as well as the t shirt, which is also uh, in, engaged in that design. Uh, and there may be some fun little bundles to get. Uh, yeah,
2: because we've got a lot of shirts from past years. So so if
1: you missed your chance, now you have no excuses. you got to get down to the con and get those sweet shirts that he's designed in the past, people. Come on. I'm telling you. Why am I getting upset about this?
2: I don't know. You're making <laughs> you making it less appealing. I,
1: I know exactly. Don't listen to me. I'm a I'm a moron. Just like just come to the con, but don't talk to me.
2: <laughs> uh, please record at our booth. Don't listen to Zach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well,
1: if you need me, I'll be banging my head against a window. <laughs> cool. Right on. Well, until next week. Bye.